Alistair McGrath is a former scientist and a former atheist. Now, an atheist is somebody who doesn't believe that there's a God. He doesn't believe in God. And he writes about his journey to becoming a Christian, his journey to discovering who Jesus really is in such a way that he not only believed in Jesus, but he followed Jesus with his life. I want you to hear a little bit about his journey. As he writes, he says, as a young man, I was a grumpy and frankly rather arrogant atheist. I was totally convinced <clears throat> excuse me, that there was no God and that anyone who thought there was needed to be locked up for their own good. I was majoring in the sciences and had won a scholarship to study chemistry at Oxford University. I had every reason to believe that studying the sciences would further confirm my rampant godlessness. While waiting to go up to Oxford, I decided to work my way through a pile of self-improvement books. I came to the work of philosophy, Plato's Republic. I couldn't make sense of everything I read, but one image etched itself into my imagination. Plato asked us to imagine a group of men trapped in a cave, knowing only a world of flickering shadows cast by a fire. Having experienced no other world, they assume that the shadows are their only reality. Yet the reader knows and is meant to know that there is another world that is beyond the cave. He says, as I read this passage, I began to think typical escapist superstition. What you see in this world is what you get, and that's the end of the matter. Yet, yet a still, small voice within me whispered words of doubt. What if this world is only part of the story? What if this world is only a shadow land? What if there is something even more wonderful beyond it? And that began a journey in which Alistair began to pursue spiritual understanding. And his pursuit brought him to faith in Jesus, the Jesus who died on a cross for him, the Jesus who rose from the dead, the Jesus who lives and rules and reigns today, the Jesus who allows us to come into the presence of the living God. And Alistair's life would never be the same again. Friends, I imagine that there might be some of you here today or who are listening online that would call themselves an atheist, somebody who doesn't believe in God. Some of you here today might doubt. Maybe you believe there's a God, but this whole Jesus thing is just a little too far for you. The idea of somebody rising from the dead is just a little too much beyond what you can accept and receive and believe. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've gone through some really difficult things in your life. You want to believe, but you struggle with faith. If this describe, any of this describes you this morning, I've got great news for you. You're not alone. You're not alone. Because you see, the very people upon whom Jesus would build his church, beginning in the first century, they were people who doubted. They were people whose faith, before they met the resurrected Jesus, had been shattered. You see, 
coming into Jerusalem just one week before Jesus would be arrested and crucified and die. Just one week before, great crowds of people cheered enthusiastically as Jesus entered on a colt, the colt, the, the, a little donkey, riding into Jerusalem. And the crowds celebrated. This was everything the disciples and followers of Jesus expected because they believed. They believed that the Messiah, that Jesus was the Messiah, and that the Messiah had come to overthrow the Roman Empire. This is what they expected of Jesus. And then Jesus was arrested. And then Jesus was crucified. And then Jesus died, and he was placed in a tomb, and all of their hopes, all of their dreams were dashed. Their faith was shattered. From their perspective, it was over. There was nothing yet that they were going to experience of Jesus. You see, Jesus had told them about the resurrection. He had alluded to the fact that he would die and rise again after three days, but that wasn't their expectation. They didn't understand that. And so from their perspective, hope and faith were dashed. They were shattered. They were destroyed. But then came Sunday morning, and they would meet the resurrected Jesus. And these men and these women, these followers of Jesus, would never be the same again. In fact, Peter, who denied three times, even knowing Jesus after he had been arrested, this same Peter who was hiding in fear, this same Peter, just 40 days later, would stand before the religious leaders and he would proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He would not hide, he would not run, and early church history records for us that the same Peter would never recant his faith. The same Peter would proclaim Jesus to his last breath. The same Peter would be crucified upside down for his faith, for he did not want to die in the same manner of his Lord. You see, Peter met the resurrected Jesus, and he would never be the same again. Friends, this morning, you heard the passage coming out of John chapter 20, describing the resurrection. And what I want to do this morning with you is I want to share four reasons why this matters to us. Four reasons why this is important. Four reasons why we as Christians celebrate this day unlike any other day. Four reasons why your life may never be the same again if you open your heart and your life to the risen Jesus. So friends, here's what I want you to see this morning. The resurrection of Jesus empowers our faith. It empowers our hope. It empowers our lives. Why? Now, I got to tell you, I had 16 points last Monday. Praise the Lord, I got it down to four. But there's a lot more I want to say. So I hope you plan on being here till dinner. <laughs> but the resurrection of Jesus empowers our faith. Number one, because the resurrection of Jesus is true. It really happened. Friends, there has probably been no other 
fact of history that has been more studied than the claim of the resurrection of Jesus. And there's a reason for that. Because you disprove the resurrection of Jesus, you disprove Christianity. You disprove the resurrection of Jesus and you destroy the Christian faith. So there have been many since the very first day that this claim was made that have tried, that have tried to disprove the resurrection and they have failed. And there have been many, many who have studied this and seen that it is true and it's brought them to faith in Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, the first fruits of those who die in faith. He is the example for all of us who will believe in him and follow him. We too one day will be resurrected. There is a reason we celebrate this day. Friends, I have looked deeply at this claim of the resurrection of Jesus. I didn't grow up in a church. I came to Jesus as a teenager, and I began to study the claim of the resurrection of Jesus. There was a book back then that was called um, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and it, I studied that, and I came to believe in Jesus because I couldn't get beyond the claim of the resurrection. It's true. It's true. Now, what happened that Sunday morning? Well, it was early, even before the light had come to the day. That early Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and some of the other women, they gathered together some, some different oils and different things that, because they wanted to go and anoint the body of Jesus. It was their last act of love for Jesus. You see, they didn't believe that Jesus would rise from the dead. They didn't understand that. They weren't expecting that. In fact, from their perspective, Jesus had failed. He didn't accomplish what they thought he was going to accomplish. And often that's our story, isn't it? We get frustrated with God because we have an expectation for God, and he doesn't meet our expectation. And it shatters us, and it discourages us, and it frustrates us. And it may, even, it may even impact our ability to believe. But the women, because the body of Jesus had been taken off the cross and buried very quickly, they didn't want him hanging on the cross as, as the Sabbath came and Passover came. They didn't want him on the cross. So he had taken his body down. They had very quickly, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had prepared the body and had been placed in the tomb. Now, Three days later, here is Mary and the other women. They are coming to the tomb of Jesus with spices and oils to anoint the body of Jesus, their last expression of love for him. As they come to the tomb, they're hoping there'll be somebody there who can roll away that heavy stone that is placed at the mouth of the tomb so that they can enter and do what they want to do. They must have been surprised when they came and they saw that the Roman soldiers who had been ordered to stand guard over the tomb, they're not there. They've disappeared. They're supposed to be there. Maybe they were hoping that one of them could help them roll away the stone, but then they noticed something else. The stone has already been rolled away. There's no stone. 
in front of, at the mouth of the tomb. And not only that, they realize that the body of Jesus is missing. He's not there. They see the linens, but the body of Jesus is missing. Mary quickly runs to find John and Peter, two of the disciples who were closest to Jesus. She wants to tell them that the body of Jesus is missing. They think somebody has stolen the body. And so they run to Peter and John, and and Peter and John quickly make their way to the tomb. John is writing this account from his own firsthand experience, from his eyewitness perspective. He has seen this, and he's writing what he saw. And of course, he says, I arrived at the tomb first. Peter was behind me. I'm faster than Peter. But John stops at the mouth of the tomb, and he gazes in. Peter catches up and goes immediately into the tomb. Listen to what we read. Then Simon Peter came along behind him. John is writing from the third-person perspective. He's talking about himself. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around the head of Jesus. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, speaking of himself, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. But what did he see? What did he believe? He believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. It wasn't his expectation, but he believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. He saw something that caused him to believe that the body of Jesus had not been stolen, the body of Jesus had not been moved, but Jesus had actually risen from the dead. What is it that he saw? Well, often when we think about the body of Jesus and we think about this story, we think about a pile of linens. Now, when, they, when a body was, was buried in that day, this was the Egyptians that made mummies, not the people of Israel. They didn't bury people that way. What they did was they took strips of linen and they wrapped the, the deceased person, their entire body, from the shoulders down. And what they did was they would put about 75 to 100 pounds of spices and oils to keep the, the linens secure. And then they would put on the head linens, again, that had, that had been formed with the, uh, with the spices and the oils. They wrapped it around the head like a turban. So what you see here is that the top of the shoulders and the face and the neck are exposed. Now I want to show you a, a rendering of what that would have looked like. It would have looked like this. This is what they saw. They, according to what John is saying here, they didn't see a pile of linens as if somebody had unwrapped the body. What they saw was the linens that Jesus had been buried in but the body is gone. Listen to what he says again. He says, he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around his head. 
the cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. What he's saying is, this is what he saw. Now, how do you get a body out of that unless it rose through it? You see, John comes to the tomb, and this is what he saw. He knew nobody had taken the body because you couldn't just slide the body out of there. What he knew was that the body of Jesus had risen through the linens, that Jesus had risen from the dead. He saw and he believed. Friends, there is so much evidence for the resurrection. It could go on and on and on and on. And that's not what I want to say to you today. I'm just trying to look with you at this passage in John as he talks about this. But John would see this, and he would never be the same again. John would be the only of the disciples that would not die a martyr's death. But he would proclaim boldly the truth, and at one point, he was sent to an island, the island of Patmos, because they wanted to get rid of him. Here's the second thing that I want you to see, and that is the resurrection of Jesus displays the faithfulness and the power of God. This is extraordinary. Listen to what it says. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They still didn't get it. What is he saying? They didn't. John's saying, I didn't understand. Peter didn't understand. Mary didn't understand. We didn't understand that Jesus was supposed to rise from the dead. We just didn't get it. Jesus alluded to it. He talked about it. Now, we get it because we're on this side of the resurrection. But they didn't understand that was happening. They also didn't understand from the Old Testament that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. They didn't understand that. They didn't see that. And so for them, this is a complete shock. For us, we understand it because we know the story on this side of it. But for them, they did not expect it. And this is John's way of saying, this was a surprise to me. Because he had just said, he saw and believed because they still didn't understand from Scripture, speaking of the Old Testament, that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They still didn't get it. So he's saying, this is when I did get it. Because I saw and I believed. Now, what do we see here? The resurrection of Jesus displays the faithfulness and power of God to fulfill his promises. I don't know about you, but when people make a promise to me, there's two things I look at. Number one, I look at the character of the person who's making the promise. And I ask this question, is this somebody that I can trust? Can I trust this person? Are they faithful to their promises? Do they do what they say they're going to do? But then there's a second thing that I look at, and that is, do they have the ability to fulfill their promises? If you came up to me and said, you know what? Before you die, Pastor, I'm going to give you a billion dollars. Now, okay. <laughs> I would probably think, well, let me look at your character okay, but let me look at your ability. <laughs> Don't think so. <laughs> but with Jesus, here's what's so extraordinary. You look at Jesus, he fulfilled every single promise he ever made. He fulfilled every single prophecy of the Bible. He did everything he said he was going to do. 
I check off character. Now I look at the next category and I say, okay, how about ability? Can he fulfill these promises? Let me see. He quieted a storm. He told the seas to be quiet. He raised a dead person. He healed blind people. He healed lame people. He healed a paralytic. He rose from the dead. Yeah, I think I'm going to check off. Yeah, he can do it. So what are some of these promises? Friends, I know because I believe in the resurrection. Here's what I know. I know that every promise Jesus made is going to be fulfilled. And I live, I live each and every day in light of that reality. Now imagine how different your life would be if you believed that every promise that he has ever made will be fulfilled. I'm just going to give you a couple of those promises that I was thinking about. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to leave me. You know, I've had people leave me because they didn't like me. I've had people leave me um, because I did something dumb. Go figure. I've had people forsake me because whatever reason. You know what, you know what the Bible says in Timothy? Even though we are faithless, even though we are not faithful to God, God is faithful to us because he cannot deny who he is. So even when I do those dumb things, those silly things, those things I shouldn't do, God doesn't reject me. He doesn't leave me. He doesn't forsake me. Who in the world do you have in your life for which that is true? He will never, he will forgive me everything. Everything. Not most things, not some things. He'll forgive me, he forgives me everything. You know right now as God sees me, he sees me through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for me. And he sees me and he says, not guilty. He says, holy. He says, you are my child. That's what God sees when he looks at me. Not because I'm so wonderful, because I'm not. But because God is so good. And God is so loving. And God is so merciful. I will never know a moment where I live in any longer where I live with the shame of, and stain of sin. sin. Sin still hounds me. Temptation still pursues me. But I will never know a moment where shame will be my reality because Christ has said, now therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in me. I am not condemned. Others may condemn me, but God does not. These are just a few of the promises. He will give me the Holy Spirit at the time that I believe, which is what he did. He's going to give me, as we saw in this series we're just finishing today, he's going to give me, he gave me peace. He gave me joy. Yesterday I was at a, a funeral service in Anaheim for just a really godly woman. In fact, she's part of our church family. About a year and a half ago, she, uh, two years ago, she and her husband, her husband is, um, he is the head of the chaplaincy ministry of our entire denomination. Some of you remember when Tim and Kristen Reekirk were here and Tim was installed as part of our church family. Kristen 
died at 56 from pancreatic cancer. And I was at that service yesterday. And one of the things that struck me, well, she was an amazing servant of Christ, an amazing person. And a pastor talked about when he visited her, they were very close friends. And he asked her, he said, how are you doing? And she said, I'm not doing well. I just want to go home. Realizing that one of her children was carrying her first grandchild that she would never see. I just want to go home. I'm ready to go home. And then he asked her, how is your faith? And she said, my faith is strong. You see, she knew that she was not alone. Was there heartache in the midst of this? Was there pain in the midst of this? Was there confusion in the midst of this? Was it hard? Yes. But she knew where she was going. She knew that her life would never be the same again. You see, God has made incredible promises. One day, everyone who believes in the name of Jesus, when he returns, we will experience our own resurrection. We'll receive our eternal bodies. You think this is good? (laughs) Wait until you see my glorified body. You see, I know that's true because Jesus, I know his character and I know his power. Here's the third thing I want you to see. This is extraordinary. I have never, friends, I got to tell you, I have read this passage hundreds of times over the years, never paid attention to this. This is extraordinary. See, this is the great thing about the Bible. You never stop learning. Listen to what it says. You will have the relationships you have always longed to experience. These are the relationships that you hunger for. These are the relationships that you were created for. You were created to love God and be in relationship with God. And Jesus made that possible. And by faith in Jesus, you can now have a relationship with the living God. That is the hole that exists in your heart. And you can try to fill it with lots of other things that the world offers. You can try to fill it with human relationships. You can try to fill it with success. You can try to fill it with sports. You can try to fill it with with being known in the world and being rich in the world. But it'll satisfy for a moment and then it'll drain out because the only thing that fits that hole in your heart is a relationship, a dynamic, real, authentic relationship with the living God that Jesus Christ made available when he died on the cross for all who believe. That is the truth. And in this passage, Jesus says to Mary, as you heard it, she said, Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. He says, now listen to this. I never caught this before. He says, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Go tell my brothers. Now, if you've been with us in this series, you know that Jesus, just a couple weeks before this, said, I no longer call you servants, I now call you my friends. So they went from servants of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, to friends of Jesus, and now they've taken another step. What are they? They're family. They're family. 
Jesus says, you are my brothers, you are my sisters, you are my family. Friends, when you come to understand the depth of what that means, that God has adopted you to be his eternal child, we are brothers and sisters together. Jesus says, my brother, my sister. And in that culture, a child that was adopted actually had more than a child of natural birth. This is extraordinary, but it even goes beyond that. What does he say? I am ascending to my father and what? What does he say there? Your father, my God and your God. What is he saying? It's not no longer just my father. Jesus is saying, he's no longer just my God. He's your God. He's your Father. Because the death of Jesus opened the way for us to have an eternal relationship with the living God. You see, friends, it's not just going to heaven. It's knowing God now and forevermore. It's growing deep in our awareness of what it means to be a child of the living God what it means that God is my God and that God is my Father. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Friends, here's the thing. When you come to believe, when you come to believe in what we're talking about today, your life will never be the same again. It can't. If you believe and are growing in your faith, and what happens is when I first became a Christian, I knew nothing or very little. And every day I learn more and more and more, and that will continue until the day I die. I will grow deeper just as my relationship with my wife grows deeper over time. So my relationship with the living God grows deeper over time. But it doesn't happen just by chance. It happens because we take the time to do it. We make it a priority. My God, my Father, I am the child of the living God. I am a son of the king of the universe. That's who I am. And when our children were growing up, we wanted them to understand who they were in Christ. Finally, you will live with fulfilling and empowered purpose. Your life will never be the same again. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Ah, don't we long for peace? Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, right? The Father sent Jesus into the world. We saw it on the video. Jesus was sent into the world by the Father. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. Jesus has a plan for your life. Now, what is that purpose? Your purpose is to continue the work of Jesus forevermore. As long as you live in this world, your purpose is to live for Christ, is to carry out the ministry of Jesus. Where? In your house, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace, among the relatives or friends that you'll be with later today. That is your call. That is your purpose. And I want to tell you, there is no more wonderful purpose in the world than serving this incredible God. And you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be on staff. No. In fact, we need people in the world. 
being ambassadors for Jesus. Now, friends, this is what's so exciting. He says, and with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. See, the role of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to do this purpose. The role of the Holy Spirit is to remind us of everything that Jesus said. So when we're discouraged, we're reminded, I'll never leave you or forsake you. When we're, when we're running out of energy, Jesus says, I will give you the strength that you need. And we go on and on and on, and we're reminded of these things that Jesus said because he said them to us as well. And so the Holy Spirit empowers our preaching, empowers our loving, empowers our words, empowers our relationships, empowers as he transforms us from the inside out. That comes by coming to know this God, coming to know this Father. I want to share with you this closing picture. I was thinking about this, and yes, this came from my pool, and um, and it's a story, I've been doing some research on acrobats. No, I am not going to be an, uh, a high wire artist. Those days of long gone. But what they do is really interesting. They walk on wire. Isn't that crazy? They walk on wire and they're way up in the air. And what they do is they often use a pole because the pole helps to stabilize them. And they, they crouch down like this, because I didn't know this, but the wire rolls underneath their feet. Like it isn't hard enough already. You got this wire kind of rolling, and you're trying to stay on it. And, and then, here they go. And they cross it. Now, most of them, not all of them, most of them have a safety net. That safety net could be an actual net underneath them, or it could be cables that that they're attached to that you don't see when you're in the audience. So if they fall, it catches them. And I was reading uh, about this one per acrobat who was uh, being asked, how is it that you can do those things? He says, here's the secret, the net. That's the secret. I know that if I miss, I'm not going to die. So what the heck? I'm just going to go for it, right? I know that I'm going to be okay. So look at me right? Now take away the net and it's like, boom, off they go. What's the difference? They know that ultimately they're safe. The resurrection of Jesus reminds me that ultimately I'm secure and I'm safe. When I die in this world, that's not the end of dawn. I will live with him forevermore. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to run from. Because we are safe in the hands of God. That's the power of the resurrection, friends. That's the power of the resurrection. So let's be bold. Let's live the life that we never thought we could live. Let's live a life that is marked by sacrifice by risk as God leads us and guides us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the incredible life you have given to us.
We ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us to understand what it means to not just believe, but to have faith, to give our lives for this. Lord, thank you for this and so much more we could talk about. Speak to your people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.